got everything I ever Yo. wanted, and I'll never Yo. give that back. You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, it's anything and everything WWE. This includes reviews of NXT TakeOver in your house, WWE Backlash 2020, and what was billed as the greatest match ever, and a look at the state of NXT and the NXT Championship What is next for Adam Cole? Is his clock ticking? We will find this out and discuss much more here on this episode of the Touch Em Up podcast. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? I hope you guys are are staying healthy out there and are having a great night. And I can't wait to get back into wrestling because it's been a while. You know, we've had a lot of things going on in the world of professional wrestling. We've also had a lot of things going on in the world of mixed martial arts. And that is why um, the last few episodes have been based on mixed martial arts. I had an interview with the number 11 ranked bantamweight in the UFC, member of the New England cartel. That is uh, Rob Font. So thank you again to him for jumping on the on the podcast. Uh, I, I appreciate it, and I, I w- wouldn't have had anybody else. You know, it really meant a lot for him to get on here with me and uh, discuss some of the things going on in his career, in the careers of his training partners, and what could be next for him. So thank you, thank you so much to him, um, and thank you to all his training partners. You know, Kelvin Cater, uh, his management, Tyson Chartier. Um, thank you guys, and uh, yeah. I'm hoping I get some more of your guys on from the New England cartel in the future. But, um, yeah, let's go into WWE because, like I said, there, there's so much to cover. I mean, we got we have to start with NXT TakeOver in your house. And I know I'm super late because the pay-per-view was on, you know, I believe it was on the 8th of June, um, if I'm wrong. You know, let me look up the date. It, it might have been. You know what? No, I think it was the 13th. I, I think it was the 13th. Let me see. Uh, NXT TakeOver in your house. Uh, let's just check the date. Cause like I said, we were far behind. Okay. June 7th. So I was wrong on both occasions, but it was on June 7th. This is late, but I, there's so much wrestling to cover. I feel like getting everything into one episode and getting it all figured out is going to be the best way to go about it. So overall, I loved NXT takeover in your house and you know why it's because they brought the nostalgia back to what was in your house. They didn't try to change it into something new with NXT. They they kept the nostalgic feeling. They kept the in-your-house stage with the door and the windows and, and the grass on the on the ramp. And they even had the original announcer from the original in-your-houses. I cannot remember what his name was. It escapes me. But they had like the, the old-school Ico Pro commercials for the supplements that the WWF used to have back in the day. Um, they had merchandise. Um, merchandise, uh, ads throughout the pay-per-view. It just felt old school and I love anything that feels old school. And, you know, I'm so glad that that's how they went about this and they didn't try to change too much of the, you know, feeling of an in your house show. It really felt like an in your house show from back in the day with obviously a modern twist to it, but I loved everything about it. And, uh, let's get into it. First off, let's start with Mia Yim. It was a six, six woman tag team match. Mia Yim, Shotzi Blackheart, and Tegan Knox defeated Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I, I didn't pay attention much to this match. I honestly got home. When I watched the pay-per-view the first time, I ended up getting home a little bit late. So I started off with the Balor and Damian Priest match, which we are we have a lot to talk about when it comes to that match in particular. But with Mia Yim, Shotzi, Blackheart, and Tegan Knox, I watched some highlights. You know, it was a great match. Um, every All the women, you know, went, at, went in, tried to give their best effort. Um, a lot of good spots in the match. Uh, I, I thought it was good, and uh, I felt that it was a good idea to have the the faces win here. 
usually with women's tag team matches or, uh, you know, it's hard to get the heels to go over in a multi-women tag match or multi-women match in the, when the, when, you know, it's teams and stuff like that. It's, it's hard for the heels to go over. So I'm happy that the faces got the job done here because it was pretty much a heel night for uh, NXT takeover in your house. And uh, we'll, we'll get to more of that later on, but yeah, good match. Um, like I said, I didn't pay much attention to it, so I'm not going to sit here and give you some deep analysis on the match. Um, but I, from what I heard, it was very good. And uh, I, I don't remember it a lot off the top of my head, but that's okay. Um, we'll move on. But up next, uh, probably my favorite match from the entire show, and that was Finn Balor defeating Damian Priest. Um, Balor and Priest just really, you know, they went all in, and, and it was fantastic. From the opening bell, I mean, Finn Balor opened up with the shotgun dropkick, you know, trying to take Damian Priest off guard, not giving him a chance to recover, not giving him a chance to breathe, catching him right at the bell, um, being that straight shooter, the Prince. Uh, Finn Balor, um, you know, he opened up with a shotgun dropkick and went after him and then they, they just went at, they went, uh, for blows. Priest hit a backbreaker on the apron off the steel steps. I mean, that, that was just vicious. He was on, they were both standing on the steel steps. He jumped off, boom, backbreaker on the apron. But there was another spot with somebody with a type of backbreaker razor's edge style of move, um, later on in this match. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, one of my favorite spots in the match was Priest landed a switch roundhouse kick uh, as he was uh, like on the outside of the ring on the apron. This was after you know he the, he threw Balor into the apron. Um, he was on the outside. Balor ran at him. He did like that spin spinning defense where he spins across the ropes and he does like a tornado style roundhouse kick where he spins and then kicks the opponent in the, in the head as like a counter. I love that move. Um, he did that on Balor, I, and you know that that's like I said, that's one of my favorite moves that Priest does. Um, Balor then returned with an overhead Pele. So this was later on in the match. Um, Priest landed a switch roundhouse kick, you know, like a double touch roundhouse. Um, hit Balor in the head, and then Balor fell down, but he countered with the Pele kick and uh, the overhead Pele kick, and they both collapsed. Um, I love the way that Balor sets up that overhead Pele. I, I think that, you know, he did it against Gargano. He did it in his match against Adam Cole for the NXT title. I just love that move when they're when they're going back and there's a big exchange, and uh, he gets taken out, but then he counters at the last second and uh, kind of falls into the pin, or they both fall down, both opponents, whoever it may be. I really love that spot from, from uh, Finn Balor. Um, what's next? Balor went to knock Priest off the apron. This is actually what I was talking about just a second ago. I just mixed up the spot, so forgive me. But he went to knock Priest off the apron while Priest turned against the ropes like that spinning defense and landed a tornado roundhouse kick counter. I Like I said, I love that move. I love that he can just flow so seamlessly between offense and defense. And when Balor was running off the ropes to try to do like a, to try to shoulder block him off the apron and then Priest just gets, gets out of the way, um, like, walks across the ropes and then comes back with a roundhouse kick to the face. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, another spot in the match, you know, Priest hit a sit-out choke slam from the second rope, um, went for the pin, but obviously Balor, did, you know, kicked out. And then one of the uh, one of the spots we're going to get to, which was probably the scariest spot in the match, had given, uh, reminded me a little bit of the Shawn Michaels and Undertaker spot from the casket match where Shawn Michaels injured his back. And, uh, it was priest went for a razor's edge off the apron onto the steel steps were, which were on the outside, but Baylor was able to wiggle his way free and he landed a forearm, which knocked priest off the apron, but it knocked him back so far that his lower back hit on the edge of the steel steps. And it, it was just brutal. You know, that was probably 
one of the most painful spots you could take in, in a match. And it, it added to the realism of the match because I think a lot of people thought that Damian Priest was seriously injured on that spot. And, you know, it, like I said, it reminded me of the Undertaker in Shawn Michaels match, the casket match from Royal Rumble 1998, because that's what happened is I believe Undertaker, like, flipped him over his shoulder and um, Michaels went to, like, brace on the casket and he tweaked his back. And that's actually how he ended up getting that serious back injury. Um, this was a little bit more brutal than that, but luckily Priest was okay. Um, boom, just knocked him off and he fell backwards and boom, just edge of the freaking steel steps right into the lower back. And it just made a vicious, vicious sound. It, it was, it was, it was rough, but it added to the realism of the match without a doubt. Um, uh, you know, there was a lot of more spots in the match, but that was probably like the, the most highlighted spots. And then to end the match, um, Balor went with a stomp to the back of the neck where he jumped off the top rope, does that double stomp, coup de gras to the back of the neck. Um, uh, Priest just went face first, collapsed into the mat. Um, Balor went up to the top rope, um, landed the coup de gras, boom, um, and got the one, two, three. Um, Prince Balor, print the Prince. Finn Balor gets the win over Damian Priest. Um, do I think it was the right call? I do, but I also think it hurts Damian Priest. Not performance-wise. I think, like I said, this was probably my favorite match on the entire card. Um, and it doesn't hurt Damian Priest in terms of his performance because we've seen how good Damian Priest could be. I mean, he actually reminds me, and I don't know if, the, if some of you guys get this feeling and this vibe as well, but he reminds me of a mixture of Brandon Lee from The Crow and Gangrel. If you were to take those two guys and put them together into one wrestling character, I think you get the Archer of Infamy, Damian Priest. And the real question is, yeah, Balor beat Priest, but what is Priest going to do next? You know, where is he going to go in NXT? Because he he's wrestled for the, he's competed for the North American Championship and lost on a few occasions. He now lost this match to Balor. He's a guy that could be one of the top guys in NXT. And I think they're taking more of a slow burn approach with Damian Priest, but you can't wait too long because the candle will eventually burn out at both ends. So I think that Priest has a lot of potential. Maybe they're going to call him up to the main roster. I would like to see him in NXT a little bit longer, to be honest. I don't think the main roster is for him right now. I think wherever he goes, you know, he can be a star. He's got the look. He, his in-ring style speaks for itself. He's got that martial arts type of style. A lot of people love to see. Um, he's brutal. He's got the character. Um, Mike work, we don't see too much of it from him, but he can definitely cut a promo when he needs to. Um, and I just love everything about Damian Priest. But Balor was the correct choice to win this match. I believe I actually might have picked Damian Priest in my predictions. I could be wrong, but either way, amazing match. Um, in my opinion, match of the night. And, you know, we'll move on. But, yeah, really, you know what? I don't know because the next match we're going to talk about was extremely good as well. Um, so, yeah, obviously, I love that match. And let's move to the next one. Um, Keith Lee defending the NXT North American Championship against Johnny Gargano. This match was phenomenal. You know, one of the longest matches on the card. It went 20 minutes, 35 seconds. Um, I loved everything about this match. You know, Johnny Gargano from his entrance where he came out and, uh, you know, had the key, had a key. He like unlocked, went to, un looked like he was going to unlock the door and, uh, obviously put it in his trunks and walked out to the ring. I love this new heel style and heel persona from Johnny wrestling. Um, I think that it adds a lot more to his character and brings, you know, a new sense of edginess to a guy in Johnny Gargano, who I think needed that to up his career. I love him as a face. I think it works with him as the underdog every time, but seeing him, 
you know, finally crack and, and go to that dark space where he never wanted to go, but he's really embracing it and being the heel. After all the work he's done with Tommaso Ciampa, maybe he's developing his own black heart, um, but obviously his is the rebel heart. So um, I love this match. And, you know, it was it was basically a style of match where it's a mat-based, grappling-heavy technical style from Johnny Gargano, and then a powerhouse, um, speed-based, um, just overall powerhouse style from Keith Lee. And it worked out phenomenal. You know, right at the ma- at the beginning of the match, Gargano was trying to grapple and uh, map base wrestle with Lee. And Lee was trying to use his power, like I said, just to fend him off. You know, pushing him off, throwing him off when he went for headlocks or body locks. Or uh, trying to get, uh, you know, arm locks or lock up a submission. He would just push him off. Um, Lee caught Gargano on the outside. Um, it looked like he was going to go for a spirit bomb. So he jumped over the top rope. It looked like he was going to go for a spirit bomb after Lee caught him. Um, Gargano was able to get free on the apron, landed a super kick to the jaw, and then went to do his running uh, senton off the top, off the apron. But uh, Lee caught him in midair and then picked him up. And uh, that was great. I I love that spot. You know, Lee just using his power to try to slow down the speed of Johnny Gargano. So he caught him in that powerbomb and uh, looked like he was going to throw him right through the apron or through the plexiglass. But that obviously came a little bit later. Gargano was going after the injured right eye of Keith Lee on multiple occasions. That's one thing that makes Gargano and made this match so good was the storytelling. Gargano targeted two spots on Keith Lee's body, the uh, the right eye um, and then the left, the left hand. You know, he had injured the left hand on NXT. I believe he put it in between the steel steps and kicked it. And uh, if, if I remember correctly, you know, I don't exactly remember when he injured the, the left hand. That might have actually gotten injured. I think that was might have been injured by the Undisputed Era. Correct me if I'm wrong, because this storyline has kind of intertwined the Undisputed Era and Gargano and Mia Yim and Candice LeRae. It's all kind of intertwined into one. And... Um, but if we keep going on in the Gargano and, uh, Keith Lee match, you know, he kept going after the eye, you know, raking the eye, he would, um, get the, uh, like the hammer lock on the, on the, uh, arm of Keith Lee. And then he would use the thumb of the lower hand to grind into the injured eye of Keith Lee. So he was attacking the arm, you know, limb control, but he was also grinding into the eye. That's just, that's just perfect heel style mat based wrestling. And that's, this shows that Gargano is really just you know, embracing this heel role and becoming, you know, the rebel heart and uh, all heart or, you know, rebel. What is it? What is his catchphrase? His new catchphrase? All heart, no soul, something like that. I, I Something like that. I don't know, but I love it. And yeah, it, it was just really, really good map based technical style of wrestling from a guy like Gargano up against a powerhouse. It was a David versus Goliath um, and he had to cut down Lee to size, but Lee got some good offense in as well. Um Gargano tried knocking on the in-your-house door of the stage to get away from Keith Lee. This was really funny. You know, once Lee was taking the shots and getting angry and was about to come after Gargano, he uh, was knocking on the the in-your-house stage, the door, to get out and uh, try to escape. But Lee obviously didn't let that happen. But he was continuing to attack the injuries, the hand and the eye. Um, Like I said, hammer-locking the left arm and digging into the injured right eye of Lee. This was just great, smart heel style, heel tactics, and I thought it worked very well. Um, Lee went for a toss up into the spirit bomb and Gargano countered with an arm bar on the injured left hand. This is another thing. You know, a lot of guys in matches when they target an injury, sometimes the matches will get so hectic that they'll end up targeting the wrong limb. 
and then they have to make up for it. Like, oh, maybe he, maybe he kayfabe has an injury on his left leg, but in the heat of the moment, the guy attacks the right leg and puts it in a submission, and then you're like, wait, I thought his left leg was injured, but now the the other performer and the other guy in the ring has to sell the other leg like that was injured as well. But uh, Keith Lee and and Johnny Gargano just put on a phenomenal. Um, a phenomenal style of, of and just great storytelling in the match with the injuries. Um, he countered, like I said, he went to toss him up for the spirit bomb. Gargano countered with the uh, armbar, and he was just ripping on the fingers of Keith Lee, which also play pays dividends because you saw Gargano had a feud with Pete Dunne back early on in NXT, and it was um, Pete Dunne is the master of joint manipulation, so he's taking. Um, he was taking pages out of other wrestlers' playbooks in this match for the joint manipulation to really damage the hand, the injured hand of Keith Lee. Um, you know, digging into the um, eye with the with the thumb and everything like that. It was he was taking the bruiserweight strong style of Pete Dunne and uh, and adapting it to his technical style of uh, Johnny wrestling. You know, Gargano and I've said this before. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but he reminds me of a new age and a new generation Shawn Michaels. And I've heard other people say that, but he really does remind me of that. He's great at storytelling. He's good at map-based technical style of wrestling. He gets you to get invested in the match. You know, he'll kick out at the last minute. The kickouts, um, a thousand kickouts is a little crazy. I believe the kickouts are a little too drawn out, but if it's good for the match and the storyline in question, then there, I don't see a problem with it. Um, but let's get back to the match. Obviously, um, Gargano landed a springboard DDT on the outside of the ring, so he jumped through jumped through the ropes. So Plancha got the DDT on the outside. Um, that was a great spot in the match. Uh, what else? Lee couldn't get into the ring. This is another thing when I'm talking about storytelling and the David versus Goliath, the big man versus the little guy. So he landed this springboard DDT on the outside, but he couldn't get Lee up because he was too big, and it, they were at seven. Eight, the ref was counting. So what? So Gargano had to go back into the ring and break the count because he knew he couldn't win on a countout. Um, it, it's small. It's a small detail, but again, it goes into the storytelling. Um, Lee pounced Gargano right through the plexiglass, and uh, that was probably the biggest spot of the match. And uh, yeah, he just pounced him right into the crowd, right through the plexiglass. I popped for that spot. Um, I think a lot of other people did too. Um, and like I said, this was kind of based on the undisputed era, Candice LeRae. Johnny Gargano, Mia Yim, and Keith Lee. Um, Candice and Mia got involved, and then that gave Gargano the chance to use that key, which he obviously introduced before the match started. He took the key out, and he jammed it into the injured eye of Keith Lee, and then he jumped into the ring to land his uh, slingshot DDT. Um, one, two, Keith Lee kicked out. Um, Lee countered, landed a spirit bomb, then picked up uh, Gargano, did a powerbomb, lift up, powerbomb, lift up, powerbomb into the spirit bomb. Kind of shades of Brock Lesnar mixed in with his own style. One, two, three. Um, Keith Lee retains the NXT North American Championship. Phenomenal, phenomenal match here. Great storytelling. Um, you know, great heel versus face style of wrestling. David versus Goliath style. Old school style mixed with new style. This was just phenomenal from bell to bell. And they gave it enough time. I mean, it went 20 minutes. That's a good length for this match. And uh, yeah, um, another match, obviously, for the NXT Championship. Adam Cole defeated Velveteen Dream in the backlot brawl. Um, I'm going to be honest, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this match. I wasn't into this match at all. I thought I would be because, you know, we've all... Loved the cinematic style of WWE matches that they've done as of late. 
but this was just too much. I was too hectic. There was too much going on. I feel like they dragged it out a little bit too long. Obviously, the spot where it's Undisputed Era and Adam Cole throwing in all the chairs, and then at the end of the match when um, Adam Cole landed the Panama Sunrise on the steel chairs, and then the last shot to get the victory to retain his NXT championship was cool. You know, I liked that part, but I just wasn't really feeling it. Um, you know, I, I had high expectations for the match, but you know, I don't, I don't, eh, eh, I don't know. It's just, I thought their first match was better and, uh, yeah, you know, it was cool. It was good. It was fun, but I, yeah, I just really wasn't into it. And I've, I've heard a lot of other people say that as well. Um, and then obviously the match, I think all of us were looking forward to the takeover debut of Scarlett and Karrion Cross versus the Blackheart Tommaso Ciampa. Um, you know, this match was short, very short. The match only went six minutes and 13 seconds, but it was perfect for what it needed to accomplish. It did everything that it needed to do to put over Karrion Cross as a formidable opponent and a monster in NXT while also not making Ciampa look too weak in defeat. I think it, it covered everything. Um, right out of the gate, Ciampa went after Cross with punches, kicks. Um, Cross countered with big boots, and they were going at it right from the get-go. Um, Cross ended up landing the exploder suplex. Boom, just threw him, tossed him across the ring. Um, Ciampa went for the Willow's Bell, and it didn't land right away. You know, Cross was able to get out of it and then land some more power shots on Ciampa. Um, and then Cross tossed, they were on the outside of the ring after that, you know, they, they got to the outside of the ring and Cross grabbed the, grabbed Ciampa by the throat, lifted him up and threw him neck first and shoulder first into the apron. Um, just going back to Ciampa's neck injury, you know, playing off of what he's been through in NXT, um, vicious, vicious move. It looked like Ciampa could have seriously got injured, but this match was just a fight. It was a balls to the wall fight from bell to bell. And although it was short, it accomplished exactly what it needed to do. Um, cross, obviously that vicious spot on the apron. Um, Ciampa ended up landing the running knee as cross was trying to get back into the ring. Boom. He landed the running knee and then he landed the widow's bell and one, two cross kicked out, but we thought, Oh my God, maybe Ciampa was going to beat him right away. Um, they're going for finishers. They're going for heavy moves right out of the gate. Um, yeah. So then Ciampa ended up trying to go, for the fairy tale ending, went to lift him up, cross countered it into an F5 fireman's carry type of position, and he did us an amazing style. I really love this move. He did like a, I don't know what you would call it, almost like a release airplane spin, like an F5 where he just tossed him. So he put hand him on the shoulders and he just tossed him across the ring and Ciampa spun and then uh, landed on the floor, just showcasing the power and the viciousness of carry on cross. Um, he did that, then he picked up Ciampa by the neck, threw him up in the air, and locked in the cross jacket, and uh, trapped the one arm of Ciampa, locked in the cross jacket, and Ciampa passed out. Six minutes and 13 seconds, but if this didn't establish Karrion Cross as a formidable monster in NXT, then nothing else would. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was perfect for what they were trying to accomplish with the match. It didn't make Ciampa look too... Um, it didn't make him look weak by losing so quickly because he was able to get in some vicious moves, the knee strikes, the, the punches, the kicks, the widow's bell, going for the fairy tale ending. So he brought it, they both brought it, and I really love what this match um, entails. Obviously, it looks like Ch um, Cross is going for the NXT Championship, but we will get to that in a little bit. Um, yeah, Io Shirai ended up defeating Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley to become the new NXT Women's Champion. Um, this was a great match. Um, all three women looked fantastic. Um, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this match, but again, Io Shirai, 
Um, Io Shirai, you know, came in and put a stamp on her victory. And it really reminded me of the match with Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. I believe it was a tag team match when Charlotte had the figure eight locked in and then Rhea Ripley um, went for like a um, a roll up and got the win because, uh, you know, she was occupied with the submission. Her legs were locked up. She couldn't kick out and uh, she had him pinned. She had her pinned. So what happened was um, Charlotte had Rhea Ripley in the figure eight and um, Io Shirai went up to the top rope hit that phenomenal moonsault that she hits. But since they were locked in the submission, one, two, three, she couldn't kick out. And uh, Io Shirai stole the victory. So Io Shirai is your new NXT Women's Champion. Um, I'm glad. I love Io Shirai. I love heel Io Shirai. I really think that it, she brings a new element of... Uh, of edginess to her character. And I just love everything about it. I think there's great matches. She could have an NXT for that championship. Um, probably rematching Charlotte, definitely Ripley versus EO, um, Veer versus EO for the championship. Um, and a lot of other things that can happen with her in NXT. Maybe she defends against Candice LeRae. Maybe she faces Mia Yim. Mia Yim and Io Shirai I think would be a phenomenal match. But I'm glad that Io Shirai is getting a chance to run with this championship as a heel. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Um, yeah, so we'll catch you on the next part, guys, and we will continue with the NXT talk. All right, let's move on to uh, the state of NXT overall. I mean, the, we have to talk about, you know, what's the future of NXT? So we, we covered NXT TakeOver. That's cool. But the question is, you know, what what's it going to be? Is it is it more of a uh, who's going to challenge Adam Cole? Who's going to take his title? And we finally have an idea. So. Next week, which is tomorrow, actually, because like I said, I was it's been a while since I covered um, anything professional wrestling. It is going to be the North American champion Keith Lee versus Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano for the NXT North American Championship. But that's not it. The winner of this match will go on to challenge Adam Cole and also defend their North American Championship in a winner-take-all match for both titles on the July 8th episode of NXT. Um, wow. Wow. I mean, this triple threat, Balor, Lee, and Gargano, that, that might be the match of the year in NXT. I wouldn't put it past them. I think these guys are phenomenal performers. Either one of these guys can be the one to take the title off Adam Cole, but I do feel that whoever wins this match will take the championship. But, at first, I thought, okay, Balor's going to win this match, and then he's going to face Adam Cole. He's going to win the title. He'll be the only guy to be the longest-reigning NXT champion, um, previous longest-reigning NXT champion, and then beat the, the longest-reigning NXT champion for the title, claim what was his as a heel, be, be you know, both champions, and and do whatever. But And, and I thought that's what was going to happen, honestly. I don't see... Keith Lee winning and going to challenge um, Adam Cole. And I don't see Gargano doing that because they already kind of beat a dead horse with the whole Gargano and Adam Cole feud in NXT. But um, what I do see happening is uh, Karrion Cross gets involved. He causes a ruckus. The match gets thrown out. Then following um, this match, whenever the match will be, so July 8th, I think we are going to get a fatal five-way for the NXT world championship Adam Cole or for both for uh yeah I don't think it'll be for the North American championship so I think that the North American championship match is thrown in here to make you think we're going to get a double champion and then it is uh 
changed, and it's it's just for the North, the NXT Championship. But what I think, or you know what, no, because it w- it would still be for both titles. It would still be for both titles because we're gonna have the North American Champion in the match as well. So it'll be Keith Lee versus the Prince Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano versus Karrion Cross versus Adam Cole in a fatal five way for the NXT North American Championship and NXT World Championship. Um, I would not mind it being a championship scramble. If you really want to draw out the match and make it longer, make it a championship scramble. But I think a fatal five-way for both championships, and then you have Karrion Cross win the match. Um, if not, it has to be Balor. If they do, if they do um, just get a clean winner here, and then they go to face Adam Cole, I think Adam Cole loses the championship to the Prince, Finn Balor. They already had one match previously in NXT. Um, now they're going to have... Um, another match. I'm uh, I'm excited, but and I hope that's what they do. But I just feel like with the whole carrying cross angle and him tormenting Adam Cole, and then you know getting trying to get involved in the whole Keith Lee, Finn Balor, Johnny Gargano segment, and then having Lee stomp down on the hourglass. You know, I feel like that's just where they're going. All the all the 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 arrows and the maps are pointing towards a fatal five way, in my opinion. So I think. Cross versus Lee versus Balor versus Gargano versus Adam Cole for both championships. And if that's the case, I see uh, I see Karrion Cross walking out with both championships. Like I said, if not, um, Balor wins the triple threat, goes on to face Adam Cole and wins both championships, and uh, you know makes makes a triumphant return to the top of the NXT brand. Um, I like that a little bit more than the carrying cross going after the championship. I think you could hold off a little bit on carrying going for the championship, but him beating Ciampa like he did. I mean, it makes sense. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think we're going to get the fatal five way. If I have to put a bet on it, I would say the fatal five way is what's going to happen. Carrying gets involved and uh, we get a fatal five way on July 8th. If not, Balor wins faces Cole and Cole loses the championship. Either way, I see Adam Cole losing the NXT championship and then going to the main roster to uh, up to SmackDown or to Raw, either brand, and uh, moving on from NXT. That's that's what I think, honestly. I think Adam Cole's time in NXT is about done. I think he's done everything he possibly could on that brand, and I think it's time for him to move to greener pastures or what are so-called greener pastures, which is the main roster. I think he's a better fit for SmackDown. Um, but we obviously won't know until we get crowds back. I think once you hear the reactions from everybody, I think it's really going to bring, you know, NXT and and bring the call-ups and bring the new stars to a new level like Matt Riddle, um, and like a bunch of other people as well. (sighs) Okay, man. Uh, so what's next? Obviously let's talk about backlash 2020. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the matches here except for the main event because the main event is what we all came to listen to anyway, and uh, I think that's what we, what you guys want to hear too. So let's start it off with Apollo Crews defeated Andrade to retain the United States Championship. Um, you know, I love that they're giving Apollo Crews a chance to run with this title. Um, I did not get to see the match in its entirety, but I did see some highlights, and um, I thought it was a great match for what they did. You know, when you get Andrade and Cruz in a ring together, you know they're going to put on a phenomenal performance. Um, Apollo Crews, phenomenal wrestler, just never given really the chance to shine on the main roster. He was a little bit back in 2016 on SmackDown when he originally made the jump, but um, I'm not 100% sure with 
you know, what's exactly going to go down with him now, but I'm glad they're giving him a chance to run with this end of this United States championship. Um, I hope they give him a little bit longer of a run and uh, make him build it up. And then he can drop it to somebody like a buddy Murphy. He could drop it to, um, in Austin theory. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that though. He could drop it to, um, who else could he drop it to? Who could beat um, Apollo Cruz for the title? I mean, I guess Lashley could, because that's kind of what they were going with. But part of me thinks that Apollo Cruz is going to join the group with Lashley and MVP. I think it'll be Lashley, Cruz, and MVP. I like that group. I like it. I like it a lot. I think it does a lot for both guys and will elevate their careers with MVP as a manager. I think Apollo Cruz with a manager will elevate him to levels that he wasn't able to reach on his own. And I, I'm excited for it. I think he deserves it. Apollo Cruz is a phenomenal performer, phenomenal in the ring. He's a great wrestler, very athletic and very, uh, very strong, um, powerful guy. And I think he can do a lot in WWE if they give him the chance and give him the ball, give him the proverbial brass ring and let him run with it. Um, Sasha Banks and Bailey retained the women's tag team championships against Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss and the Iconics. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I thought the Iconics were going to win. That's obviously not what happened. Um, I see Banks and Bailey breaking up very soon and uh, eventually going into a feud with each other one final feud between Banks and Bailey. But obviously if you watched raw recently, um, it's going to be at extreme rules. We're going to get, um, Asuka versus Sasha Banks. I love that match. I think that match will tear the house down. I think that is the perfect match for both women. And uh, even though Sasha Banks is on SmackDown, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for her to challenge a Ross competitor. Um, maybe they go with the whole trade idea. You know, since AJ Styles was traded to SmackDown recently, now we got um, Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler on Raw. And then... Um, Obviously, we're going to get Ziggler versus McIntyre for the WWE Championship. So maybe this is another idea where Asuka's going to lose the championship to Sasha. Sasha's going to move back to Raw. Um, I don't agree with it. I think Sasha should stay on SmackDown. I think she should build up the feud with Bayley to more of a slow burn. And then they have one final match, and then she moves on from Bayley. Um, Sasha versus Alexa Bliss would be cool. Um, there's a lot of things both girls can do. But either way, you know, they retain the tag titles. I think they lose them very soon. And, uh, yeah, and that's what I think, honestly. Um, Sheamus defeated Jeff Hardy in uh, what was a great match. I thought these two guys put on a, a great performance. Um, I kind of expected – I expected Jeff Hardy to win. Um, I thought that the whole idea of the match was to have Jeff Hardy get a, get the one-uppance on Sheamus. But then, Sheamus, but then you got to think, you know, this was Sheamus' big return. And uh, Sheamus is going to uh, – he kind of needed to get the win – and uh, build his way up and build himself back up to be a superstar. And if somebody throws kayfabe piss in your face, like uh, Jeff Hardy did to Sheamus, you can't really have that guy lose. Um, so he got the win. I believe he hit him with a brogue kick on the outside of the ring and then threw him into the ring, hit another brogue kick, and got the one, two, three. But it was a good match. Um, I'm definitely going to go back and watch it to digest everything from it. But yeah, good match overall, without a doubt. Um, what's next? What's next? Um, Oscar retained the title over Nia Jax via double countout. Um, nothing really to talk about here. I, I'm glad Nia Jax didn't win the championship. I don't think she deserve, um, should be the women's champion on raw or SmackDown. I think she, uh, injures a lot of people. I'm not throwing shade at her. You know, I'm, I'm she, I respect her as an in-ring performer. I respect her for the business and respect her for what she's done, but, uh, she does, uh, she has injured a few people. I have heard Charlotte Flair is injured. She's going to be out till 2021. I do not know if I, if, Sasha, if Nia Jax was responsible for that, so I don't want to make accusations that aren't you know set in stone. But you know, with the Kyrie Sane incident, 
you know, I, I don't think her being around a championship anytime soon is the best idea. Um, up next, Braun Strowman retained the Universal Championship in the two-on-one handicap match against The Miz and John Morrison. Um, good match here for what it was. You know, Braun's trying to fight off two guys at once, use his power, use his speed that he has. Um, there was a cool spot where Morrison springboard off the top rope, landed a drop kick into the skull-crushing finale for The Miz. Um, obviously, Braun kicked out. He was able to finally get an upper hand, um, separate both guys, land the power slam on John Morrison, I believe, get the one, two, three, and retain his Universal Championship. Where it goes from here, I think it's pretty obvious. I think The Fiend Bray Wyatt versus Braun Strowman for the Universal Championship, and then The Fiend wins the championship back. Um, do I think The Fiend needs the Universal Championship? No. But do I think it would be better to have him hold the title than Braun Strowman? Yes, I do. I think you can build up better, more compelling storylines. I think people would be more invested in matches for the Universal Championship if The Fiend were to hold that title. And uh, yeah, I just think that there's more pros than there are cons to having Wyatt slash The Fiend beat Strowman for the title. And uh, we haven't seen The Fiend versus Strowman yet, so I think The Fiend shows up, beats Strowman for the title, and uh, yeah, he, he runs over SmackDown for a little bit longer with the championship. Um, McIntyre retained against Lashley. Um, really, really good match. I thought it was phenomenal. It, it wasn't too long. Um, it got everybody looked strong. Lashley looked like a million bucks. Probably the best he's looked since he had that win over Roman Reigns back at, I want to say it was last year's Extreme Rules when he beat Roman Reigns. I could be wrong. But, uh, yeah, it started off with MVP trying to get in, uh, distract McIntyre, distract the referee, and then Lashley jumped in as McIntyre was making his entrance, locked up that master lock submission, the full Nelson, um, sat out with it, locked the body lock around with his legs, and uh, just tried to tire out McIntyre. It worked, then Lashley went on the attack, tried to beat him up, beat him up, beat him up. Um, McIntyre ended up getting the, the upper hand again, um, hit him with a headbutt, tried to go for a Claymore kick, he got speared. By Lashley, 1-2, McIntyre kicked out. There was a spot on the outside where it was very scary. Lashley went for like a fireman's carry but didn't have Drew's weight 100% on the shoulders. And uh, Drew almost fell on his neck, could have broken his neck. So very scary spot there, but luckily he's okay. Um, the end of the match came when Lana came down to the ring, tried to distract um, Lashley, or, uh, you know, tried to make a distraction for Lashley. Um, what happened? Did she try to distract McIntyre? Something like that, and then Lashley went to attack McIntyre. He moved out the way. Um, Lashley knocked Lana off the top, off the apron, turned around, got hit with a Claymore kick, and Lashley sold that beautifully. It looked like he got hit by a bullet. And uh, one, two, three, McIntyre retains the WWE Championship, and like I said, he's now going to be going into a feud with Dolph Ziggler. I like it because of the storyline aspect of how they used to be a teammate. We never really got the blow-off match between Ziggler and McIntyre, so I think it makes a lot of sense for them to do it for the championship. Um, I don't see any way where Ziggler comes away with the championship, but um, I like it. I, I think it's a good match. I know a lot of people are going to say Ziggler doesn't deserve to uh, have the world title, and partially I, I do agree with you because to come back to Raw and immediately get thrusted into the, the top of that show, the upper, the for the for the biggest prize on that show. I don't think it's the best idea, but based on storylines, based on how good I think the matches could be, we saw how well they worked as a tag team when they were called the show, I believe. Um, and them as a tag team worked very well, so I know they're going to put on a good match. And uh, I'm excited. And then obviously, the, uh, the, the best match on the show. Uh, went around 44 minutes, I believe. And uh, it was a rematch from WrestleMania 36, and that was the greatest wrestling match ever, um, Randy Orton versus Edge.
fantastic, fantastic old school storytelling type of methodical match. Exactly what we thought it could be. And it really delivered on all angles. I'll go over it. It's probably going to take up the majority of the rest of this episode, to be honest, probably 15 to 20 minutes just on this match alone. But uh, let's go into it. So like I said, um, very methodical and intense match. You could tell that they wanted to show that uh, both guys had the upper hand on each other. They knew every counter for their counter for the counter. They knew what moves they were going to go for. Who was They knew three steps ahead of what everybody was going to do. Um, right at the beginning of the match, um, Orton, Orton was reading the arm drags. The edge. edge was going for the arm drag, going for the arm drag, went for it again, and Orton just pulled back and stopped, and uh, Edge fell on his back. Um, he was reading it like, I know you're going to go for another arm drag. Come on, guy. You know, come on, Edge. What do you think this is? You think I was born yesterday? And then with Edge, same thing. Um, he scouted the power slam that Orton likes to do where he catches you and whips you into that power slam. He held back and Orton, you know, missed the power slam. Really, really good storytelling there. Um, um, yeah. And then Edge ended up busting open Randy Orton with a headbutt and then landed a flying clothesline off the, the top rope to Orton on the apron. And, uh, yeah, it was a vicious headbutt. Um, I can't believe it actually busted him open, but it was pretty vicious when you checked like the slow-mo replay, but, uh, that headbutt landed. Then he jumped off the top rope, landed the clothesline. Um, really, really good work there from edge. Um, he, uh, the, one of the things I liked that I think a lot of people were, um, maybe looked over and I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying maybe a lot of people noticed it. I'm not, I don't know. But he, uh, Edge was working on the shoulder and collarbone of Orton in the match. And Orton had had that collarbone injury back in, I believe it was, oh, when did he get injured? Was it around 2008? Or maybe it was 2010. Somewhere in that area when Orton got that serious collarbone injury, um, when uh, he went for the RKO and then got tossed over the top rope, landed on his shoulder. I believe that might have been at... Um, I believe it was a match against Triple H, but I don't remember exactly when it happened, but he was out for a long time. And uh, yeah, Edge was targeting the shoulder and uh, trying to go after that with arm ringers and, and shoulder blocks and wrist locks and everything like that. And then uh, Orton, so one of the spots in the match I really liked is Orton reversed an Irish whip into his signature backbreaker, which again, it attacks the neck, it attacks the back, it goes after Edge's injured neck. So he went for the Irish whip. Orton reversed it, pulled him back in, landed that vicious uh, signature backbreaker. Um, like I said, targeting the neck injury. This match was all about storytelling, putting on a traditional old school style of map-based wrestling match um, with violence, with everything. This match really had everything you could ask for in a professional wrestling match. Um, oh, what else? What else? Um, he was stomping out the limbs of edge, you know, like Orton likes to do vintage Orton, um, really played a good heel. You know, Orton works so much better as a heel than a face. I don't know why they turn him face. I obviously, you know, some fans like him better as a face, but Orton as a heel, um, just really turns back the clock to 2009, 2010. And I think this is the best heel work Orton's done in a very long time since the age of Orton in 2009, 2010. Um, I actually have an idea for what I would do personally in the edge and Orton storyline. If you guys want to hear that, definitely let me know. I, I showed it to my one buddy and uh, he liked it. It's just to have one more final match with edge and Orton, but you build it up um, since edge is going to be out for a long time and you could really just make it better than what it could be right now. So uh, I will definitely get that to you very soon. Um, but yeah, let's continue with the match. Um, edge hit the three amigos on Orton, you know, shout out to Eddie Guerrero. That's another thing about this match is they hit, other people's finishers. Um, Orton hit a pedigree on edge edge, hit a rock bottom on Orton. They were pulling out all the stops, you know, stolen finishers, 
Um, everything was was going great. Um, Edge hit the three amigos, and then another spot I liked is Ed, Orton went for the rope hung DDT off the corner, off the top turnbuckle. Edge countered it into an arm ringer, so he got off the ropes. He threw him in an Irish whip, spun him back around into the execution DDT. So he countered the DDT with the DDT again. Great storytelling and great counters from Edge and Orton in this match. Um, Edge countered the Thez press of Orton into a sit-out powerbomb. He was either going for a drop kick or his traditional, you know, Thez press. I think it was the Thez press. Says press, press, yeah, says press, and uh, he countered it into a sit-out powerbomb, beautiful counter, one, two, Orton kicked out. Um, one of the best counter spots, I think, in the match, and I loved it. I, I had to rewatch the match's highlights because I wanted to make sure I got everything. Um, Orton went for an RKO. Edge pushed him into the ropes. He went for an unprettier, but Orton countered, leapfrogged over the head of Edge, went for another RKO. Edge countered the counter uh, to the counter of Orton and hit the Edge-O-Matic. So it was, went for RKO, push off into the ropes. Orton comes back, um, Edge went for the unprettier. Orton countered, leapfrogged over the back, went for the RKO, Edge countered it into an, in a, into an Edge-O-Matic, boom. One, two, Edge kicked out, or uh, Orton kicked out, I'm sorry. Edge went for a spear, Orton leapfrogged the spear, tried to set up the RKO. Edge saw it coming and countered with an unprettier. Again, he didn't get the move off earlier in the match, but he waited to counter the counter to counter. Each guy, they know every everybody's moves. Each guy, Orton and Edge, know each other like the back of their hands. Former tag partners, longtime rivals. They know everything about each other. And the fact that he didn't hit the unprettier before, but then he found a way to hit it later on in the match, it just adds to the storytelling. Um, who was going to make the mistakes? Who would slip up and eventually lose the match? Um Orton hit a pedigree. Edge hit a rock bottom, like I said. Edge went for a cradle pin to try to get a fast one on Orton. Orton immediately got out of the counter, got out of the cradle, jumped up, and hit an RKO out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. He kicked out of the cradle, got up, boom, RKO. One, two, Edge kicked out. Um, we didn't know who was going to win. Edge then ended up hitting a spear on Orton um, and then got back up, got into the corner, hit a second spear. One, two, Orton kicked out. I mean, it, it, it's, and the, you know, each guy, who was going to make the mistake? Who was going to go to that place they needed to go to win this match? Um, Edge went for a springboard crossbody off the ropes, Ed, uh, but Orton countered with a midair RKO. One, two, Edge kicked out again. So at this point, Orton playing the heel, you know, the psycho, the psychotic person that he is, he's just, what does he have to do? What does he have to do? Um, the match went on a little bit longer. Edge went into the corner, I believe. Orton, boom, hit him low. Ran into the corner. Boom, hit the punt kick. One, two, three. Edge, Orton wins, beats Edge. At The match went 44 minutes and 45 seconds, but he did it with the punt. The punt is the best move that heel Orton does because it looks vicious. Edge sold it phenomenally. It looked like he got hit by a bullet. Boom. Went out. One, two, three. Um, now they're one and one. Edge won at WrestleMania. Orton won now, so they have to have a blow-off match. Um, if I got time, I can actually cover this for you here on the podcast. I think I have enough time. So let me let me tell you what I think they should do with Edge and Orton. I think it should be drawn out since or Edge is probably going to be out you know, between four to six to eight months. I think you could draw it out to the Royal Rumble and then eventually build up to a finale at next year's WrestleMania. I think it should be done earlier. I think there's more that Orton, uh, Edge can do in his career. But, I mean, I think that this would be the best option for um, Orton versus Edge. Let me pull it up for you um, really quick. I'm going to go through it quick because I don't want to uh, run out of time. But here's what I would do. So, obviously, 
edges out. Orton's going to still keep playing that, that bullshit heel. Um, just vin vintage vindictive Viper, the legend killer. And it's kind of funny because on raw, he met, he mentioned himself, referred to himself as the legend killer. I wrote this on uh, Sunday. So that following night on Monday night, raw, he talked about being the legend killer. So let's talk about this. Um, here's what I would do. So, Drew keeps defending the title and goes on a rampage. Then Orton eventually ambushes him and put punts him into the ring post. So he knocks him down. He goes on a rampage, kind of like vintage heel Orton, just loses his mind. And then he punts um, Drew McIntyre's head into the ring post. It's brutal. It's vicious. It's heel work. Um, Orton says, I'm going to take everybody out until I get what I want and get what I deserve. Edge is gone. I killed off Edge. I want the WWE championship. I want to become the next champion. Um, he then goes on a win streak over the next few Raws. He beats Lashley. He beats Aleister Black, which I'd love to see Black and uh, Orton mix it up. He beats MVP. He goes through a bunch of guys to where it's almost like you can't deny Orton becoming the getting a shot. Then one night he's going through the backstage and he sees Ric Flair. Ric Flair obviously, you know, built up Orton. He he was part of the reason. Um, why Orton ended up, you know, having Christian go out on a stretcher. Um, so he sees Rick in the back and they embrace and then Orton smirks after a long embrace and, you know, uh, every, uh, or, uh, Rick Flair thinks everything's okay. He looks at Rick and he says, I'm sorry, Rick. And he RKO's him on the concrete. Then he loses it. Like, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? Like how Orton is just being a psychopath. And then he punts Rick Flair, takes out Rick Flair out of commission. We don't know what happened to him. It's vicious. It's vile. It's vindictive. It's perfect for Orton. The next week on Raw, Christian shows back up. After, you know, three, four weeks of him being, after that unsanctioned match where he got stretched out, he shows up. He's coming out with a limp. He makes his way into the ring barely, and he calls out Orton. He says, um, Orton comes out, and he's like, um, he calls out Orton. Um, Orton's music hits. But nobody comes out. And then, boom, out of nowhere, he RKO's Christian. He then puts Christian's head in a chair, goes into the corner, and is about to punt him while his head is in the chair. Um, then Triple H's music hits. It's time to play the game. Um, he says, stop it, Randy, stop it. What is it that you want? Orton says, I want the title. I want Drew. Triple H says, you have to earn it, Randy. You have to earn it. Orton says, I've already earned it. I've done everything in this business. Championships, money in the bank, accolades, even a kiss from your unconscious wife a, a lot, about a decade ago. You know, just, just throwing that shitty heel heat back at um, Triple H. And you could just see Triple H just loses it after this. Um, Triple H is in a rage and he comes down to the ring trying to save Christian because Christian's head is still in the chair. But this time Orton just looks at him and says, Randy Orton, legend killer. And he punts Christian. And then while his head's in the chair, we don't see Christian again until later on in the storyline, but uh, they stretcher out Christian and, and Triple H is helping him up, getting him on the stretcher. Um, the next week on Raw, Triple H comes out and says, listen, you sick son of a bitch. You want a shot at the title? You got it on one condition. You have to beat the beast incarnate the former reigning defending universal champion and WWE champion Brock Lesnar. And you have to do it at survivor series in a last man standing match. So this would obviously go on longer. Um, we're, we're going to be in July, August, you know, September, October, November, it would probably, this storyline would probably start where he goes after the title, 
maybe around like September. You could build it up or somewhere around there. But uh, yeah, um, in a last man standing match, you have to beat Lesnar. You beat Brock in a last man standing match, you get your shot at Drew McIntyre. Orton throws a fit. He rips up the turnbuckles, rips up the mat, rips up the ring mat. Then he just stops and stares at the ground. Look, picks his head up, smirks at Triple H, and says, thank you, Hunter, and just leaves. And Triple H is kind of like, what? Like, well, what, what the hell? Um, so now it's set. Orton versus Lesnar in a last man standing match at Survivor Series. It's a brutal match. Suplexes, power bombs, RKOs on the concrete, F5s through the announced to a table. Both men's are spent. They go for around 15, 20 minutes. Orton goes for an RKO and Lesnar catches him into an F5. He reverses it, flips him over kind of like the Undertaker does when he counters into a tombstone, puts him onto his shoulders, goes for an F5. Orton counters the F5 into an RKO, kind of like how he countered um, Cena's AA back in the day into that RKO, and he lands it onto a steel chair. Brock Lesnar's out. Orton's kind of just staggering back up to the feet. The ref's count is at nine while Orton's back up to his feet, but he picks up Lesnar. He, he throws him out of the ring. He's, and he stops the count. And everyone's like, why would you stop the count? You want to get the championship match. Why are you going to stop the count? Um, he stops the count. And uh, he then positions his head in between the steel steps and ring posts on the outside. And punts Brock Lesnar. Punts the steel steps into Lesnar's skull against the ring post. The match is called off. They don't even go to the 10 count. Because Brock Lesnar, he, he looks like he died. And they call it off. Orton's bloody. Brock Lesnar's bloody and Orton's just smiling and laughing. Like I told you, Triple H, I told you, you son of a bitch, we're going to do this. Um, now it's set. Orton versus Drew McIntyre at tables, ladders, and chairs. Um, Orton beats Drew McIntyre with the punt. It's a close match, you know, but he ends up hitting the punt and he takes the title off McIntyre. So now um, Orton is the WWE champion. Um, Orton is out the next night on Raw saying he doesn't have to have anybody to defend the title against. He's beaten everybody on Raw. Um, he has nobody to defend it at, at against. To defend it against, I'm sorry. Ugh, defend it against at the Rumble. Then the lights flicker. You think you know me, plays, And the lights go back on. Orton just looks flustered and leaves the ring like, what the hell? What the hell? I thought I took Edge out. At the Rumble, it's Orton versus Drew versus Andrade versus Angel Garza in a fatal four-way. Orton just squeaks by with the win. He, he positions himself in his traditional pose on the ring post. Um, his old theme music plays. The burn in my light. Do, 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 do. That plays. So it's back to the original legend killer as a heel. Um, the lights flicker on and off. Orton just slithers away. He's pissed off. He stole his moment. You know, what is the point? All right, so let's finish up this uh, let's finish up this booking that I have because we're almost done, but it, it's I think it's very, very good so far. Or at least you you know what you guys tell me because obviously I wrote it. I can't give the uh, perfect uh, perfect representation of what you guys think. So we left off at him walking away at the Rumble after he defends the title in a fatal four-way. But now we have the Royal Rumble match. So in the Royal Rumble match, it's down to Aleister Black, Shinsuke Nakamura, Jeff Hardy, Lashley, and John Cena. John Cena's back for the Rumble. Um, then we have number 30. So at the countdown, three, two, one. Ah! You think you know me. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, so Edge is back. He returns again at the following year's Royal Rumble. Um, everybody's going to pop. It won't be as big as when he returned the first time, obviously, but he's back. And it comes down to Edge and Jeff Hardy. The, the final two 
in the 2021 Royal Rumble. Edge ends up winning. He hits a spear after, uh, or, or uh, so I'm just going to say, we'll make it up really quick. Kind of like how he beat um, Mysterio back in the day where he springboards off the top rope. Edge hits him with a spear and then he tosses him out. Edge is going to WrestleMania, winning the Royal Rumble. It would also be good storytelling because he came back at this year's Royal Rumble and he came up just short. He didn't win because Orton eliminated him. Now, he won the Royal Rumble a year later, and he's going to face the guy who took him out of that original Royal Rumble. So, yeah, Edge wins. He's going to Royal Rumble. He doesn't waste any time after the Rumble saying who he wants to face. He says, Randy, I'll see your ass at WrestleMania, bitch. And that's it. Walks off just in a, in, in a rage. Um, the match has no falls. and it, it, We're at Mania, right? We're at Mania now, so it's it's past Wrestle. I didn't do like Elimination Chamber and stuff because maybe it would be like a promo. Maybe Orton, maybe Edge versus Rollins takes place at like the next pay per view. Edge gets it over on Rollins. Rollins says he wants to uh, fight Orton for the title. He deserves it. He's the Monday Night Messiah. He loses. Um, Edge beats Rollins. We can get it in a build up to WrestleMania, and it would be cool because everybody wants to see Edge versus Rollins. So maybe that's what you do for in the in the time being from the Rumble to Mania. Um, so at the at WrestleMania, it is it is determined. It is Edge with Christian in his corner versus Orton in a 30-minute Iron Man match for the WWE Championship. Orton is going in as the champion, the heel. Edge is going in as the defiant, you know, person to get one over finally on Orton. The match has no falls and it goes into an overtime. So for 30 minutes, both guys, obviously, and they know each other like the back of their hands, no falls. Everybody spent 30 minutes go by like that. And then it's gone, or we go into sudden death overtime. The next fall, whoever gets the fall wins. Um, Orton goes for the punt. Edge catches him with a spear. Then he goes into the corner and he punts Orton. So Edge lands the punt on Orton. One, two, three. Edge is your new WWE champion, and he wins the title almost a year after he returned in the main event of WrestleMania 37. That's how you do it. That's how you book the end of the Orton and Edge feud. Um, I think that's the perfect way to do it based on Edge being injured. I think you have enough time to build that up. Um, maybe it doesn't happen at WrestleMania, but I think that's the best way to do it. And uh, let me let me know what you guys think. If you have any suggestions, your own fantasy booking of that feud to end that feud, um, yeah, definitely let me know. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. This is a long episode, like I said, um, but you know, I got to get it out for you guys. So thank you very much for uh, tuning in and listening to me. We're, we're going to have another interview very soon with a longtime professional mixed martial artist, a coach, um, a member of American top team and a, uh, a master of thug jitsu. If you guys are MMA fans, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. So stay tuned for that. Most likely next week, um, on more wrestling coming out, I'm going to start a new, um, I'm going to start a new um, concept on the podcast called Restrospect, um, spelled W-R-E-S-T-R-O-S-P-E-C-T, you know, Retrospect, kind of playing off the whole wrestling thing. Um, and we're going to cover one particular individual for a year of their career. So maybe it's Triple H from 2001. Maybe it's The Rock from 1998 to 99. Maybe it's... Um, Christian from t in 2010. Maybe it's Orton in 2004. Maybe it's John Cena in 2008. Maybe it's um, Brock Lesnar in 2002. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. X-Pac in 99, Kane in 1998, um, Mankind, Mick Foley in 1998. And just going through their career in that year, um, what I thought of it, how good I thought it was, how bad I thought it was, the ups and downs. 
Um, but we're going to start it off with the Phenom, the Lord of Darkness, and the leader of the corporate ministry at that time, um, The Undertaker in 1999. So um, definitely be on the lookout for that. That will probably be out in around a week, two weeks. Not the next episode, maybe the episode after that, because the next episode of the podcast will be going back to MMA, covering the card that goes down this weekend. Um, at the, I believe it's at the UFC apex between, um, with the main event in between Dan Hooker and, uh, Dustin, the diamond Poirier, amazing card, amazing main event. I can't wait to get that out to you. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't checked out the interview, I just did with the number 11 ranked bantamweight in the world, Rob font, please check it out. Um, leave a review for the podcast on the podcast app, Spotify, Google podcast, stitcher, anchor podcasts, um, Google podcast, anywhere you can get the touch them up podcast and get your audio podcast. Listen to the touch them up podcast. Tell your friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, aunts, uncles, bro- uh, nieces, nephews, coworkers, anybody, you know, who's a fan of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, tell them to tune in to the touch them up podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate the support. We're going to be on episode one Oh two. This is one Oh one. Thank you guys. And I'm out. Have a good night, everybody.